Open your Bible, please, to Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter 22. And really, the song we just heard sung is a perfect Father's Day sermon in and of itself. There isn't a dad in this room that doesn't want to do the best for his children, for his wife. We want to do our best, but because we're sinners, we fail. But we have a father that never fails, never sins. And I'm thankful tonight that not only we are in the hand of the father, we're actually in the hand of Jesus. And his hand is in the hand of his father. And the Holy Spirit seals the whole thing up. And someone once said, well, just supposing God's hand got loosened up and you could fall out and lose your salvation. Oh, that's not going to happen. I mean, you've got the triune God keeping us secure. Well, supposing the devil weasels his way in and gets inside the, the Holy Spirit and creeps into the hand of Jesus, and then he squeezes between the fingers into the hand of God. The gentleman being quizzed said, well, if the devil gets in that far, he, he's going to re realize how good we have it in there, and he ain't going to want to leave anyway. So, folks, if you're saved tonight, you're in the Father's hand. And once saved, always saved. That's not a cliche. That's a doctrine in the Word of God. Our salvation is secure. It's eternally secure. I'm thankful that the fathers are in church tonight. How many dads are in here tonight? Would you raise your hand? God bless you men. We live in a society that is attacking manhood and fatherhood. And it's really ironic that we as a nation still have Father's Day. When in reality, our government's trying to question whether or not we're really fathers or not. Or what is a father? I think each of us in here tonight recognize the value of a mother and a father. And some of you may not have had the best of mothers or the best of fathers. And yet every one of us would agree that there's something special about the home. Because God is the one that instituted the home. And more than likely, if you didn't have the joy of being raised in a good Christian home, you have a desire to provide a Christian home that would be more like what God intended for your children and hopefully even for your grandchildren. One man said, a house is built by human hands, but a home is built by human hearts. A Christian home is earth's sweetest picture of heaven. That's what Ephesians 5 is all about. Home sweet home, where each lives for the other and all live for God. We thank God for mothers, and she should be praised, especially if she's a virtuous woman. But we also recognize the incredible value of the father. Here are the facts. The facts coming from the AAP or the American Academy of Pediatrics. They say when the home has no father, 63% of all youth suicides are kids that are raised without a father. 90% of all homeless and runaway teenagers are teenagers that didn't have a dad. 
at home. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders, such as resisting authority, obesity, and depression, 85% of those children were raised without a father. 71% of all high school dropouts had no dad in their life. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions were raised without a dad. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers had no dad at home. Aggression. 75% of rapists motivated by anger were raised in fatherless homes. Folks, that isn't a baggy pants preacher tooting his horn. That's one of the government subsidized agencies record and state. The Department of Justice says 60% of rapists, 63% of youth suicides, 72% of adolescents serving sentences for murderless murders came from fatherless homes. Sounds like a dad is pretty important. God's word doesn't leave that subject unmentioned. God's word emphasizes the value of the dad. He is to give provision and protection and purification for his family. The Bible refers to mother 325 times, but refers to a father 1,500 times. There is great value in a father. The dandelion is the official flower on Father's Day. It's very cheap to give your dad a bouquet of flowers. The more you step on a dandelion, the more it grows. No matter how tall the weeds grow, the dandelion will grow taller still. Fatherhood is not just a sentimental recognition, but a serious responsibility. And so tonight I want to primarily preach to the men that are in the room with the intent of helping the men in the room to be better fathers. And some of you dads are saying, my kids are raised. You still have great influence on your children. It's not over. They may not under, be under your roof or you control them, but you can still influence them. And you have grandchildren. I want to speak to the young men in, that are memorizing God's word, the quizzers that we heard tonight. I want to challenge the young men what what a man ought to be, how to be the man that God would have him to be. And quite frankly, I want the ladies to get a biblical view of manhood. Today, our country is becoming a matriarchal country. You may not like that, but just Google it. Find out what countries are matriarchal countries where the men are not the leaders. And you're going to find that in those countries, most of them are illiterate. Most of them are poor. Most of them have violence 
to where it's unsafe to be out even in the daytime. Why? Because God created man and men are to provide, to protect, and to purify. And if your view of manhood comes from the entertainment moguls, Hollywood and Hallmark or the ABC's Bachelor, you've got a perverted view of what God intended man to be. I'm going to read a familiar passage of Scripture tonight. This is my Father's Day sermon. And you say, well, what's so special about a Father's Day sermon? Well, number one, it's simple. When you're talking to men, it's going to be simple. Number two, it's going to be short. Men, we have an attention span of a gerbil. And so tonight, I'm going to make up for this morning. Hallelujah. If you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of the text tonight? Ezekiel chapter 22, and we'll commence in verse number 23. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Wow. It's amazing. God is describing the nation of Israel's condition. Yet it sounds very familiar, does it not? Israel was in a real mess spiritually, 
economically, mentally, emotionally, very similar to God's people in America today. Corruption was not only in the people, but in the princes, in the priests, even the prophets. The world was filthy, yet religious. The religious leaders, not only were they dirty, but they were preaching lies, saying God said this when God did not say it. You know why modern preachers get away with preaching what they preach today and tell their people it's okay to live in sin? Grace covers all this nonsense. Because the people of God don't know the word of God and they want to enjoy both sin and God's blessing on it. And so religious leaders today can get away with lying in the pulpit. God is so merciful. He looked for a man. Just one. Almost looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. Just ten. In this case, just one. But he couldn't find any. And so tonight, I want to preach on this thought. Nothing new for this great church. But as a reminder that God is looking for a man. Father, would you help me to teach and preach your word tonight to this eternal bound audience? May it be a blessing, a source of encouragement to the men in this room to stay on track, to stay faithful, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To walk in the Spirit so that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To abstain from all parents of evil. To flee youthful lusts. To look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And again for that soul tonight that's closest to hell, we pray they'd be saved. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God is looking for a man tonight. He's not the only one looking for a man. I mean, the Marines that are in the room, they're very familiar with the slogan, the Marines are looking for a few good men. Our military are looking for men. They need men. The FBI is looking for men. In fact, they have a top 10 most wanted list. Women are looking for men. They say most Bible colleges, a man-eating lion would starve to death. Just joking, I'm not speaking of our Bible colleges, hallelujah. Men are looking for men. Genesis 19, there were sodomites back then as well. It's nothing new in this generation. The world is desperately looking for a man to lead them. It's being set up for the Antichrist to set in. Before long, COVID showed us that, did it not? Did you see how quickly even our kind of churches, how quickly we yielded? Now, we woke up, but it, 
Do you remember how quickly we submitted to Caesar? And we wonder how the Antichrist can come in and just get everyone to work together. Hey, you scare people bad enough and you come in with the answer, the world will follow you. God helped Christians not to be governed by fear, but by faith. The just shall live by faith. And faith and fear cannot occupy the same heart at the same time. It's one or the other. God, let me give you three quick thoughts tonight. God is looking for a man. God is looking for a man to save. May I remind you in Luke chapter 19, the Bible says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Every man in this room tonight that is saved, born again, washed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, God sought you. Amen. You say, well, I called unto him. Well, that's your responsibility, but you wouldn't have called out to him had he not sought you out. We are enemies of God. Our nature is at enmity against God. That's why you don't have to teach a child to, to lie, cheat, and steal. We got a nursery right now. You know what those kids are doing? They're stealing one another's pacifiers. They're con artists. And yet that's, that's from a good godly church with godly parents. You've got depraved children. They were born with a sin nature. Now our children, they were perfect till they got married. It's because they had perfect parents. And then our daughters married those depraved men. And now our grandchildren, as precious as they are, they're depraved little sinners because of the men that they married. Hallelujah. You don't have to teach a child to lie, cheat, and steal. That's just part of the Adamic nature. We're depraved. God sought you out. He spoke to you. The Word of God was preached. It began something in your heart. And then you had a choice to believe, receive, or reject Him. But it was God that came to save you. Amen. Matthew 18, 12 says, How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? John 1, the day following Jesus would go forth in Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. Why? The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In John chapter 9, you find Jesus in the temple of all places. Only religious people go to church, right? Only people that know God go to church, right? And yet Jesus sought a man in the temple and brought him to faith. I'm just reminding this eternal bound audience tonight, God is looking for a man to save. I'd like to think everyone in this room is born again and on his way to heaven. I can't presume on that fact. I'd like to think so. 
Hope so. But if you're not saved tonight, God is seeking you right here, right now, to save you from your sin. He loves you far too much to allow you to burn in hell for all eternity without at least reaching out to save your soul tonight. Some men may not have eternal life, may not have confidence of their eternal destiny. Then today is the day of salvation. Well, let me think about it is what most men would say. There's not a whole lot more to think about. Are you a sinner? Yes or no? You know that's true. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. Can I paraphrase it in modern English? There is none that doeth right. No, not even you, big boy. Because when God says everyone's a sinner, we are experts at pointing out everybody else's faults. But ourselves, we can explain why it appears we're not perfect. God says, no, not one. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Why? God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you die and go to hell tonight, sir, ma'am, if you die and go to hell tonight, you can't point your finger at God and blame him. He is seeking to save you tonight. Secondly, God is looking for a man to send. You're all familiar with Isaiah 6, one of the most prolific chapters in all of the word of God. Isaiah 6, 8 says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. When the world is a mess, and by the way it is, God looks for a man to send with his message. Let me ask you a personal question tonight. How many remember the day you got saved? Would you raise your hand? I mean, you can, you can envision it. How many remember the man or the woman that gave you the gospel to be saved? You remember their name? You remember what they looked like? Help me out. What was his name? David Droman. What, what was his or her name? Church in Atlanta, a whole bunch of folks. Someone else, remember, God bless you. Steve? Sorry? Johnny Beach? John A. Beach. Praise the Lord. Back here, ma'am, orange sweater. 
Pastor Franklin, sir. Sir, bearded one. Philip Jones, ma'am. Now, can I just, ma'am? Am I being out of bounds asking you a, a personal question? The people that led you to Christ, are they not special to you? You know by now that you've been saved a while. They're not sinless. They're not perfect. But in many ways, you're indebted to them. You're grateful to them. Now, we know it's God that used them to bring the message to you. But I want to remind you tonight that God is looking for men, and can I use it in the neutral sense, men and women, He's looking for folks that he can send to the lost. Where are the folks in this room that would say with Isaiah, here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Send me. That truth isn't just for way back then. That's for tonight. Our world needs what we have. We touched on it a little bit this morning. I want to encourage a good church to to wake up. Keep the main thing the main thing. Strive for perfection. Strive for holiness. But folks, let's get out there and bring people to Jesus Christ. They don't care what your standards are. They don't care what songs you sing. They don't care what version of the Bible you're reading tonight. We understand why we do what we do. But there's a world out there that needs Jesus. And there's some folks in this room that need to hear God saying, Who will go? We need some folks that will have a heart touched by God. And if you understand Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was not a stranger to the temple of God. Been in church. In fact, he was in ministry. Prolific prophet of the Old Testament, maybe one of the most premier prophets of the Old Testament. He ascended the steps into the temple on numerous occasions, but that day was different. You read the opening of the chapter in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also. That word also sheds a lot of light why that passage is written. Because up until that point, his hope was in a national leader, almost like most American churches today. Our hope is in whoever our governmental leader is. If we can get the right guy in, get a man that will do that which is right in the Lord's eyes. And before long, We'll be going to church talking more about our country and our government than we are about the God that saved our soul. But when Uzziah died, he saw also. 
the Lord. The king in Isaiah's life died. And now he got a fresh glimpse of the king of kings and Lord of lords. And you follow through that passage and Isaiah was a far better Christian than most of us in the room tonight. And Isaiah was known, and you read it in his book, woe unto thee, woe unto thee, woe unto thee. But when he got a glimpse of God, he said, woe is me. Sometimes we can nearly pat ourselves on the back at how well we're doing in our Christian walk and how good and how holy and how, uh, how much effort we put into serving God with excellence, but our eyes are not on Him. And we don't hear His voice saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Tonight I'm asking you good people. I'm preaching to the cream of the crop right here and I'm not flattering you. Sunday night, Father's Day night, sometimes the attendance dips a little bit and obviously it doesn't dip as much in your churches and most churches. But truth of the matter is, this is the crowd that God can use. This is Gideon's 300 if you please. We need to get out there. And we need to say to our Father tonight, here I am. Send me. God help us. God is seeking for a man to send. Most of the men that I've led to Christ over the years, I never led them to Christ for my benefit. But do you know today, in my twilight years, the people that are the greatest blessing to us personally are people that I had the joy of leading to Christ. It's incredible how God has used them to encourage us in the, in the years of our life now. You see, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Folks, God help us. Hear the voice tonight? God is looking for a man to send. Thirdly, God is looking for a man to stand. Our text says, tonight I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me. There are gaps in our homes. There are gaps in our churches. There are gaps in our country and schools and jobs and neighborhoods. And God is looking for a man to stand in the gap so that God doesn't have to send judgment. You remember in Exodus 32, when God offered Moses the chance to become a great nation instead of Israel, God got fed up with the rebellion and the disobedience of his own people. And he told Moses, let me just, let me just wipe them out and I'll start over and, and make a great nation out of you. You remember what Moses prayed? He said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt not forgive their sin... 
And the only time you see it in the Bible, there's a dash. Didn't even record the rest of that phrase in his prayer. There was a personal conversation going on between God and Moses. And then it picks up, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses went to bat for his own people. He stood in the gap. Rather than criticizing churches and church members, maybe ye that are spiritual ought to help those up that have fallen in a spirit of meekness. Why? Because you also could fall. We're all capable of falling. There's gaps in our churches. No church is perfect. As wonderful of a church as you have, you're, the same problems that are everywhere else are here. You're just making an effort to not let the flesh take over and praise God for it. But you have the same fight, the same passions that I have. We need one another. And God needs a man, he's looking for men to stand in the gap. The Apostle Paul said, and having done all, stand. Stand. Well, how does a man stand? He's to stand up for truth. He's to stand out in righteousness. He's to stand up for God. How does a man stand? By kneeling. Moses stood in the gap by kneeling. Abraham stood in the gap for Lot by kneeling. Stephen stood in the gap for unbelieving Jews by kneeling. Jesus stood in the gap for your soul and my soul by kneeling. My dad used to say so often, prayer is the hardest work I know. God wants all men everywhere to pray. Men who pray little will stand little. God is looking for a man to save. Maybe right here, right now. God is looking for a man to send right here, right now. God is looking for a man to stand. I'm just asking the men in this room, won't you be that man? Won't you come to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever. God, if you're not saved, you ought to pray, God, save me. If you are saved, you ought to say, God, send me. God, use me. I want to stand up for you. I want to stand out for you. God is looking for a man. So I'm going to ask every man tonight to come to the altar of prayer. Let's have an old-fashioned prayer meeting. And some of you men, you will feel awkward. Trust me, I understand that. When a preacher asks you to come, I understand that. There's men in this room that have never come to the altar. Can I just tell you, you'll be so glad you did. If this is your first trip to the altar tonight, 
you come. If you're physically unable to kneel, just stand with us. And then I'm going to ask the ladies, if there's a man in your life, a dad, a brother, a husband, a son that you love, and you would pray that they would be the man that God has called them to be, why don't you find an altar of prayer tonight and get on your knees and say, Dear God, raise up some men in our church. Raise up some men in our homes. Dear God, help my man to be the man he ought to be. As the pianist plays tonight, let's, let's just pray together. Father, we've done the best we can. And sometimes when I'm in churches like this, I just feel like they know all this stuff. This is a good church. But Father, we, we are made of the same stuff. And sometimes we don't need to hear anything new. We just need to be reminded of the old, the basics. So tonight, Father, I pray that you will hear from the lips and the hearts of these at the altar. You'll hear something like this. Send me. Use me. If there's any unsaved that you would hear, save me. God, I pray that you'd find some men tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.